sang this song to me. There was a message in his melody, sweetest lyrics that I ever heard. There's a message in the songs of birds. Tomorrow is another day. Living is the only way. Tomorrow's gonna ever come. Listen to the words of the song. Thank you for joining us. I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor, and this is a new episode of A Sip of Inspiration. Joining me today is Colin Hughes, and we're going to talk about do what you love and love what you do, because he has he has certainly been able to do that in his life. I wanted to do some housekeeping, though. My website, champagneconnection.com. Go there, and all of these podcasts are out there for you to watch at your leisure. Also, there's some merchandise there that you can buy, Sip of Inspiration merchandise that I keep saying I'm going to wear. I promise you one day I'm going to wear some. So I want you to be able to do that also. And just stroll through the book. You'll see, a, I mean, through the website, you'll see a copy of my new book, Self-Esteem, Your Superpower, Ways Parents Can Improve Their Children's Self-Esteem. Uh, it's been selling quite well. It is a small book. It's only 41 pages. So it's easy to read, but it's got a lot of great tips. So with that being said, I want to welcome Colin. I will tell you a little bit about him, but I'm going to let him do the rest because he's had an interesting life. So... <laughs> When we say do what you love and love what you do, Colin has done just that, okay? He has he had three dreams in his life, and I'm going to read so I don't get them messed up, okay? So he wants to be a cowboy, and he did that. A pilot, he did that. And an actor, and he did that too. Can you imagine? Three things that are totally unrelated. And I know some of you are sitting at home saying, I've always wanted to do something like that, but I don't know how I could do it. But he has actually done it. And that is fantastic. So I want him, I want to welcome him. I'll give him a chance to introduce himself and then we'll get started. Hi, Colin. How are well, you? I am doing pretty good, Stephanie, in this new year. Put 2022 behind behind me. Thank goodness, because that was just such a horrible, depressing year for me. But starting the new year off right, I hope. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that too, because I he He's also been able to, um, to uh, I don't want to say recover from, but to sort of deal with a tragedy, a family tragedy. And a lot of us have those too. And a lot of times, if you were like me, you're just, you just stopped in your, in your foot, in your footsteps and don't know how to do it. How does it go? Excuse me. You don't know how to move forward, but as you can see, you can move forward. And it's the lessons that you learn during those tragedies, I think, are very important. And especially if you share them with others, too. But we're going to start off talking about the cowboy first. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so there's a song that just went through my head. Uh, I don't remember the name of that. Will Nelson song? It's the it's Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy. Oh, okay. Save okay. a Horse, yeah. Ride a Cowboy. Yeah, so, yeah I went to yeah. a little. <laughs> I was thinking of the one, my heroes have always been cowboys. Oh, cool. Yeah, Willie Nelson, Willie Nelson sang that one. I love so. him too. He has some great songs. <laughs> so how did you start? And what, first off, what made you think of these three 
things that are just as unlike as one could get. Well, I just, I just remember as a child that I, you know, I loved horses. I grew up on a farm in, in Southwest Iowa and had a couple of horses, you know, that mm-hmm. I worked with. And uh, as a small child, I just remember that I wanted, I wanted to be a cowboy. I just, I just thought it was so cool. And, and then, you know, I was, had the opportunity to go up in a small aircraft with somebody. I, Boy, I want to be a pilot. And the actor came out in me when in, I think it was like third grade during, um, and you know, I'm, I'm really going to show my age here. That's okay. <laughs> during during uh, classmates' birthday party, it was a very, very small town school. There was like 12 people in my class. And one of the classmates' birthday, his mother brought in this thing that was brand new technology called a video camera. Ah. <laughs> and so she wanted to get a picture of the whole class and everybody's standing there just solid, like they're taking a regular snapshot. And I'm up there not talking, just blah, 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 blah. They're saying, what are you doing? I'm acting. <laughs> <laughs> so, and with being a cowboy, I, uh, I started riding in, you know, junior and high school rodeos and riding bulls at the age of 15. Oh my God. And found out that oh, I, I loved it. And I wanted, I wanted to be professional at it. And, um, it was just something I really went after. And some of the guys that around the high school rodeos and I, that I went to and stuff says, oh, you'll never be able to do that. You know, those guys, those guys in the PRCA, which is Professional Audio Cowboy Association, those guys are tough. I'm like, well, <laughs> so, okay. And in the PRCA, you have to earn your membership as to become what they call a card holder and, and full, giving you full professional status to go to the bigger rodeos. And on a, you do that by, starting with a permit, which allows you to enter some smaller rodeos and sometimes some of the bigger ones, you have to win so much money on a permit to earn your membership as a card holder. And I filled my permit in 1979. My first year card was in 1980. And so I became a full member and I, I competed through all throughout the the eighties. I competed against some of the legends in the sport of rodeo. I mean, legendary cowboys. Have you ever heard of the movie Eight Seconds? Yes. Lane Frost was a friend of mine. Oh, and wow. The year he died at Cheyenne Frontier Days was 1989. At Cheyenne, you ride twice. We call it the, the long go rounds. There's mm-hmm. two go rounds. And then there's the, we call it the short go round on the last day or the championship go round, the top 15 from the long go rounds qualified to go in on that last day into the short go round. Lane and I had our, our two bulls at Cheyenne the same days that year. And, uh, after the, 
our second one, we're in Justin Boots sponsors this big trailer that went around, but they call it the Justin Healer. There was sports, it's a sports medicine where there's a doctor there and mm-hmm. trainers and stuff. And we'd always use it to change our clothes in after we got done riding because, you know, usually we keep a pair of riding pants in our gear bag and change into those. And you can just mm-hmm. see where, you know, yeah, his rear end's got, got all the dirt from the back of a bull on it. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in there changing our clothes and the topic of age came up and, uh, and I said my age and Lane just looks at me and says, <laughs> my nickname was goose back in everybody called my goose. <laughs> goose he says, yeah, goose, you're just an old fart. Ain't you? <laughs> That's the last thing he ever said to me. He's calling me an old fart. Uh, and it was just a few days later that um i was living in texas at the time and i didn't qualify for the short go so i thought about you know sticking around watching it but then i thought you know i'm just if i watch it if i'm there i'm just gonna be ticked off at myself because i'm not in it okay so i went ahead and left to go home and was at some friend's house in Kansas that knew me pretty good. And it was that late Sunday afternoon, early Sunday evening, the mother of this family came running up to me. She had this horrified, horrified look on her face. I says, what's wrong? She says, Wayne Frost just died. What? And you know, these people really knew me. And so she was concerned for me as a bull rider. She just oh. always, this family just, they were really big rodeo family. And, uh, and they, this family would go to the national finals rodeo each year to watch. And this woman during the national final, every time she'd see bull riding, she'd just close her eyes. <laughs> so here I am as a, you know, uh, somebody close to the family. And she was just terrified that, you know, and yeah, I says, he, he was killed in the bull riding. He was riding the bull and, and he's killed. And we turned on the television and just happened so that there was news of it right then, as soon as we turned it on. Ah. And one of the, one of the uh, news outlets who watched showed the entire thing. Lane actually made a qualified ride that day. And won a won a won a sizable check and it was after afterwards i always say that what really happened the lane was he didn't plan his get-offs normally in the bull riding you know you hear the whistle uh-huh. you look off and you just kind of step into your hand throw your leg okay. up over the bull of the back and try and land on your feet and get out of there lane would just let go and whatever happened happened so i remember on his first one, I'll just, I'll just never forget this. Qualified ride, and he let go. And he looked like helicopter blades whirling out through the air. <laughs> I'm like, Lane, that's going to get you. <laughs> and he did. He, he landed face down in the mud. And the bull come back around, put a horn in the middle of his back, broke a rib that punctured an artery. And he got up 
and this first news outlet showed the whole thing, showed him getting up and he's walking back to the shoots and he's just waving for people. Come help me, come help me. And people knew that he was really hurt at that point. And then he just fell face down. And I thought they didn't need to show that. Then we turned it to a station, local station out of Oklahoma that Elaine was living in Oklahoma. So, you know, everybody in Oklahoma knew Lane. And they just told that this had happened. Then they says, we regret to inform you, to show you the last ride of Lane Frost. And it showed Lane, you know, the gate opening, making a good ride. And then it just showed him where he was just picture perfect, right as the whistle sounded. And they stopped right there. I thought, now that's classy. That's right. That's how, that's, that's how. The, right. Yeah, exactly. So what happened with you and bull riding after that? I, I got scared. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was, I was, I was like 33 at the time. And so that's old for a bull rider. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I would, uh, the year that Lane died, I would go to, I went to, uh, I can't remember the actual t town somewhere in, I think it was Burwell, Kansas. And my next stop was a place somewhere in Nebraska. I forget the name of the town. I don't know why. And then on to Cheyenne. And the next year, the year after he died at Burwell, Kansas, I tore a groin muscle in my left leg and I was, I was about to win it. Then I just felt something pop and go down just like a second before the, before the whistle blew. And then the next night I got on with a torn groin muscle. It was McCook, Nebraska. And I got thrown off harder than I ever had in my entire life. And this bull was walking all over me. And all I could think is that next hoof's coming in the middle of my back and they're going to carry me out of here in a hearse. And had actually had to be helped out of the arena back behind the chutes and you know all my buddies looking down goose you okay and i says that's it man that's that's the last one this is, ah no you'll be back we know you better than that that was it i never looked back and that same year later on you know i'd still go to, and watch mm -hmm. you know and watch friends but I'll never forget tough hedeman who was lane's closest friend at the uh, Lone Star Circuit Finals in Fort Worth, Texas. I pulled Tuff's rope and this bull turned back really hard and he got bucked off pretty quick, which doesn't no normally happen with him. <laughs> and when the bull kept coming around, the hooves from the bull, one on each side of his head right there, didn't touch him. And all I could think is, man, he came so close to death too if that bull would have stepped on his head, I says, how can he keep doing it? I just, I, I couldn't do it again. So from bull riding, it's like, I'd, I'd seen it once when I went to uh, Wyoming uh -huh. with a friend and I thought, nah, never, ever would I do that. It is just like scary to watch. Okay. It's scary. It's fun now, but it's like scary to watch. So, so, so how did you transition to the next thing? Because something well, 
often and now you well just... it it took a little while before i actually went as a pilot as a career after i stopped riding bulls i started to announce rodeos oh okay yeah, that's what that's what got me behind the microphone and i found out i loved being behind the microphone okay and it was so much fun <laughs> <laughs> and you know as a former contestant you know that gave me a lot of knowledge base plus i judged a lot of rodeos and i found out that the audience loved my voice i thought okay let's have some fun with this for a lot of people you know they're public public speaking i'm like <laughs> i'd be behind my microphone and there'd be a crowd of a few thousand people there and i said <laughs> we're about to have some fun <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about the most fun you had behind the microphone <laughs> oh every time i'd get out by, behind the microphone i just I just loved it. I'd eat it up, you know, and just getting the crowd revved up and getting them behind the rider and just, it just, oh, <laughs> but, uh, it, but the bull riding is, is, is one of the things that I, I had an introduction to the bull riding that the crowds loves. They're big, they're bad, and they're back in town. The bad boys of rodeo. They make their living by destroying bull riders, and they do it all for a bale of hay and a bag of feed. <laughs> but as far as a pilot, I, I got my pilot's license and my private pilot certificate in 1980. Because oh, okay. I, I traveled with a guy that had his own airplane. And I thought, you know, this would be a great way to to travel if I was a pilot. So I also remember as a child, I'd pretend, you know, I was at a rodeo and riding. And I'd jump around, jump around the yard like I was riding something. And then afterwards, I'd get out and I'd hold my arms out to the side like I was flying somewhere. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's the two dreams of cowboy and pilot right there. But uh, I didn't do much with my flying after I got my pi private pilot certificate. And then after announcing for a while, I got just got so tired of the long drives and setting my equipment up, announcing and driving to the next one. It was just it was just so tired and so exhausting, even though I loved it when I was there and doing doing the work. So I thought, you know, I've got to find something else to do. And I thought, I've got my, I've got my private pilot certificate. I've always wanted to fly. So I went ahead to get the rest of my ratings on my pilot certificate, which would be instrument rating, then commercial rating. And a commercial pilot, you know, a lot of people say the airline's commercial pilot. Actually, you have to be an airline transport pilot to fly for an airline, which is a lot more hours than a commercial certificate. Commercial certificate allows you to do some other things, charter work and banners, what, you know, things like that. But then it takes 1,500 hours total time to qualify for your airline transport pilot certificate. And I got, I got, I can't remember what year that was, something like 2000, 2005. And I was flying charter for a while. And then later on, I transitioned to the airlines, and I'm retired now from the airlines. So age 65 is mandatory retirement. And I miss my jets. 
know, is there anything else you want to sneak in after age 65? It's like. I'm behind the microphone. You know, you see me right here now, the headset on microphone here. I'm a yeah. Sennheiser MKH416 microphone, only for $1,000. <laughs> and so now I'm I'm a voice actor. Okay. That's... And I've uh, been main character on four different animated shows. And I'm working on building the commercial end right now on uh, in January 30th, I'm meeting with the gentleman who it's called, uh, what's he, uh, demos that rock Chuck Duran. And this guy does demos for some of the biggest names in voice acting, you know, and so this guy's demos are, he's got, he's got appropriately named demos that rock. <laughs> So on the 30th, I'm going to start working on a brand new commercial demo that I'm not editing and doing myself, but I'm doing with his direction. And so then I'm going to really beef up the commercial end because that's that's where you get some good money. <laughs> and have a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so for the people listening, you have successfully been able to explore three and now four things that you actually love to do. And there, and there's some people who are having difficulty making the commitment to move toward one thing. So right. what would your advice be to them? Because everybody came here to live their dreams. Those of you who listen to me know that I believe that you came to live the dreams, the things that sit in your heart. So how do how do you, what do they do? What should they do next? Find something that you truly love. I mean, truly love, and then find a way to make money at it. It's not a job anymore. It's you're not doing a job. You're getting paid to have fun, just like you've got up there. That's one of my slogans right there. Do what you love and love what you do. Because mm -hmm. if you start doing what you love, but all of a sudden you don't love doing it, then why do it? That's true. So it just becomes a job and gets you down. There's no sense to keep on doing it. But you just truly, you've just got to step forward, get out of your comfort zone, and go for it. I, I don't know how many times, you know, when I when I rodeoed, that I had bulls, you know, that would. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. That one kind of scares me. <laughs> and I've got what one story of a ride that um, my rookie year in 1980 in the PRCA, I was living in Southwest Iowa in Sydney, Iowa, not too far from my home. And it was, it was it's pretty good sized PRCA rodeo. So it was like considered my hometown rodeo where everybody knew me. And so here, my rookie year, I've been waiting for, I could enter Sydney now because they didn't allow permit holders to enter Sydney in the bull riding. And I drew a national finals bull called HR and he is this huge, huge mammoth sized bull that is an eliminator. They call it an eliminator is not fun to ride. And this bull is so big. They have to, in the, when they put him in the chutes, they have to leave the gate behind him. They have to leave the, the butt gate open and put a rope behind him. And I was just, I was scared to get on him. 
And so I got my rope all pulled and my, the wrap around my hand. And as soon as I started to slide up on my hand and nod for the gate, this bull just starts leaning back like this against that, against that butt rope. Like, like he's getting ready to use it to sling shot out of there. I reached down and I grabbed the tail of my rope to undo the wrap. And I looked up at Mark Baker, the shoot boss. I go, and I came this close to saying, bake, I don't want to do this. <laughs> and he just looked at me and says, come on, goose. He's not going to stand like that all day. Let's get out of there. And as soon as he said that, I just took a deep breath and I jumped up on my hand. As soon as I jumped up, it was okay. <laughs> Seven and a half seconds. As a half a second from riding this bull that not many people got rode. Later on, just not too long ago, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Charlie Sampson. He's actually the uh, first African-American to ever win a world's championship in professional rodeo. And Charlie was telling me when he got on HR that that somebody almost had to reach in and nod his head for him. He was so scared. <laughs> so I was, okay, I don't feel so bad now. <laughs> and then you just easily just moved from that to to the microphone to <laughs> yeah, well the first time I the first rodeo that I announced, I was, you know, I was out of my comfort zone. Uh, okay, I've got to do uh, grand entry. How do I do this and this and this? And, you know, it, it took several rodeos to where I got, okay, I'm in my groove now. I'm getting good. You just, you ha you cannot let your comfort, your discomfort hold you back. You know, if you just say, oh, then, you know, you'll be sitting in your parents' base room, in your basement until how, to, uh, who knows how old you are <laughs> it's you just gotta, you've got to get out of your comfort zone if you really love something make it something you can do for a living it really is that simple i know it's like get out of your comfort zone i love that don't let your discomfort hold you back uh because a lot of us do we allow our discomfort or our uneasiness even sometimes it's like, ah, oh, that just looks too hard. But I can imagine so some of the conversations going through your head as you're doing the hard while you're getting on the bull. <laughs> you did it anyway, right? You yeah. did it anyway. Yeah. It's so yeah. <laughs> but you know, life isn't always a bed of roses either. Everybody has trials. Yes, everybody has trials. That's a part of life. I don't think we learn anything if we don't have any time. Yeah, so exactly. We really just sitting here, not just doing this, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Sometimes it takes a trial to get us up out of our seat and on the way to something that we love. And sometimes as they used to say, you know, you get sick and tired of being sick and tired then you'll start going ahead and starting to live your dreams. So, <clears throat> We talked earlier a little bit about some tragedy that you had in your family. And I know a lot of people are facing similar tragedies now in this in, uh, in our environment where kids are so plugged into everything and yeah. everyone seems to be, um, I don't I don't have a word for it, but there seems to be a lot of bullying and a lot of um, not nice things that they're saying to each other and even themselves. Cause when yeah. people say it to someone else, they believe that about themselves yeah. too. 
So how have you been able to still stay on the path of doing what you love while you grieve the death of your granddaughter? Well, I've, I've had two tragedies in my life from, from death. In 2015, I lost my oldest daughter to cancer. And, you know, everybody's, you know, you know the feeling of losing a child. Yes. And that was, everybody says, you know, losing a child is one of the hardest things that you can do, that you can go through. But June 10th of 2022, I got a phone call. As my my daughter's caller ID on it, so I just pick it up. Hey, how's it going? And it was it was her boyfriend. And I was like, Why is he calling me on on her number? And he just says, uh, told me that my granddaughter had just killed that had killed herself. And I just started wailing. My wife my wife is a social worker, and she was in working from home, and she was in her office in the front of the house uh, with a client. And sometimes, you know, when I'm doing voice acting, I'm in my booth, you know, in my booth, yelling, yelling things for a character. And she thought, Oh, that's, he's doing, he's, he's recording something. And then when it just kept going on and on and on the wailing and yelling and, and, and crying, she came out. And I said, honey, what's going on? And I told her, and then we're both just, and losing her in this way was far more tragic than the death of my daughter. It's just, the, the pain of that is, it's undescribable. I know it is. I it is undescribable. It is. I still mourn the death of my son. So I don't know what it is about losing children first. So what's your next step? Uh, well, I had a light come on at the same time. I'm in this huge moment of grief about something that I felt that I needed to do throughout my life. You know, I learned that I was good behind a microphone. There's been several times throughout my life that I truly believe that God saved me. As a small child, we were uh, on a picnic. as actually, you know, a big family event and I, by a lake. I went swimming and I got caught up in what I thought was a whirlpool just going round and round. And I kicked and, and couldn't get out. My head keeps up going up and down you know out of, the, out of the water into the water and i thought oh, i'm not ever going to get out of this and somebody reached in and grabbed me by the arm and pulled me out and there's you know the man there's i don't know i think about 30s maybe something like that and uh, i went to the picnic area where my family was and i told my parents they didn't believe it mama this just oh there's nothing like that in this lake it's just your imagination so i wanted to i wanted to show them that i it it had happened so mm -hmm. i i went over to the picnic area from where this man walked back to and described him and nobody knew who he was and um, as a young adult 
when I was going to some rodeos, I caught a ride with the stock contractor, the person that provides stock for rodeos. Mm-hmm. Caught a ride with them to their next rodeo, and and uh, they're pulling, you know, tractor trailer pulling livestock. And I'm just the passenger side of the cab. We stop out in the country, this country store, going to go across the, the road to to get some snacks or something. And it's on a highway. And just as I'm getting ready, I'm right in front of the cab of this truck. And I'm just getting ready to step out to cross the road. And a friend of mine yells, Goose, get back. And as soon as I went back like this, it was like, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. If I'd have been just a few inches more out there, I'd have been dead. And a few more things like that have happened in my life. And, and when I realized how I have this talent behind a microphone, I've always thought, what am I being saved for? What am I supposed to do? It's more than just announcing rodeos. And that moment in all of my grief it just dawned on me that I need to be an advocate for suicide awareness. I need to use this, this gift to help people, to let them know that you're loved. And that, that's the thing that a lot of people going through this, they don't feel that they're loved or feel that they're mm-hmm. worth something. And that's, and if, uh, it, I grew up in a household that where it, it wasn't the best of, of circumstances with my family. And so I grew up with feelings of not knowing if I was loved. But now I look back and my wife, we've been, our, this September will be our 17th anniversary. And until her, I never truly, really knew how to love or how to be loved. And I've learned so much about love through her and with her that if somebody is out there right now that that can hear and they feel that they are not loved or that they are worthless, I'm here to tell you that you are loved and you're not worthless. Everybody is of value. Everybody has worth and great worth. And if you don't have people in your life that reinforce that, go somewhere and find somebody. And I'm not talking about the kids hanging out on the street corner or anything like that, that, you know, just want to go out and party or that can drag you down. I'm t- go find a church, go find a synagogue, go find a youth center where there's loving adult leaders to where you can talk to these people and whoever you can reach out to and you will find people you will find that people do love you i mean love you deeply and you'll find that you are worth something and if if you think you can't listen to my voice now i love you and that's what we're here for is to be for each other. There's just so much, so much hatred and intention in the world right now to drag people down. But you've got to look for the positive in life. And I'll tell you, there's so much positive out there. It's, 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 
it will amaze you if you truly look for it. Yes, there is. There is. There are a lot of great things happening out here in this world. There are a lot of wonderful people in this world. Sometimes um, I think we get too busy in our lives that we forget to remind people just how important they are to yeah. us and how important they are to the world because it takes all of us in order. It will take all of us to change the world into a place where we can actually all thrive. Yeah. So for those of you listening, we need all of you. Okay. Every one of you we need. And uh, just know that every moment is important. Absolutely. And with me, I've had, I call them, the name of my podcast is The Miracles of Tragedy. And both of these tragic moments in my life, the, you know, the worst ones, it seems like a miracle had happened. It's um, my oldest daughter that I lost was from back in my earlier days when I was sowing my wild oats, so to speak. And I, uh, I didn't really find out about her until I was 15. And so we had an on-again, off-again relationship. She was just always angry at me until... 2011, she called me, reaching out, and said she'd been diagnosed with cancer. And so she wanted to get to know me better while she due to this, because she, you know, for whatever reason. And um, so we drew close. And then she called me one day, and she's all excited. She leaves a voicemail, says, but she'd been pronounced cancer-free. Oh, yeah. oh, great. But then not too much after back, it came back with a vengeance and lost her on January 29th of 2015. And the miracle that came from that is that I started to get to have a relationship with my granddaughter from her that, you know, is now. We call and we text and she's in college. She's 21, loves fencing and <laughs> her boyfriend loves fencing. And so, you know, it's, so that was, that was a miracle out of that. And my granddaughter that I recently lost comes from a daughter that she's with a sibling group of four girls from my first marriage. And I'd started to try and turn my life around at that point, but I still, you know, wasn't a great guy yet and cheated on their mother, led to divorce. And that, shortly after she, we divorced, she remarried a man who is retired military. And they asked if, if he could adopt them so that, I could have his military benefits, you know, insurance and whatever else that comes with, with those benefits. And I thought, you know, that's more than I'll ever be able to pay in child support right now. So yeah, that's, it's a good thing for them. So I signed the papers, not realizing that I just signed away all rights to even see them. And so they grew up angry with me, but in 2004, the second daughter of uh, the second oldest of these four girls reached out and wanted to get to know me. 
And so we went through a few months of a relationship and then she was getting a lot of family pressure. So she backed out just to, so she was, didn't feel that pressure. A few months later, back in again, I thought, okay, she's overcome the pressure. And then same thing. And then I married to my current wife and she asked me, she says, my, well, got an email from my daughter again. And my wife says, well, you're, you're going to write her back, right? And I says, I don't know if I can go through this again. And my wife just, she doesn't let anything go. <laughs> oh, come on. She's reaching out. She really wants, she really wants, come on. She's reaching out. <laughs> and I thought, okay, but you'll see. <laughs> And I don't know how long it lasted this time, but, and she just, the last thing she said this time to me on the phone was she was pregnant with my grandson and my granddaughter then was like two years old, two or three years old, maybe. And she just yelled on the phone and says, you will never see these children. And... <clears throat> Then in 2017, my wife says to me, what are you going to do if she ever contacts you again? I says, I cannot go through that again. And she says, I understand. I'm like, really? <laughs> and I was at home on time off. And the next day, I'm saying my morning prayers. And I heard, it's just almost like you're hearing my voice right now. It says, pray for your children. Uh, what they want nothing to do with me. I don't have children. Why should I pray for them? Went on with my prayers and pray for your children. And this went on for like five minutes. <laughs> and I finally says, okay, I will. <laughs> and a uh, couple days I went back to work. Day one, all I did was I was based in Houston, Texas. So I'd have to airline down to catch ride to work. And first day is just Detroit, Michigan overnight, then Detroit back to Houston the next morning. I'm getting, I'm getting off the plane after everybody's deboarded. My phone rings, unknown number. It's my daughter. Her, it was her ex-husband then, had just been killed in an automobile accident. The grandson that I never met was in the car with him in a coma at a, at a hospital in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, his in, intestines were exposed due to injuries were extensive, several broken bones. Uh, it huge gash up his front. Didn't know if he was going to live or not. And my daughter's, siblings weren't able to come down to be with her she she was actually living up in the northeast with my granddaughter and her ex had the grandson down in florida so she had gone down to florida to be in the hospital with him and her mother couldn't come out her siblings couldn't come out she just wanted somebody somebody there for support and she said that it says i'm on the next flight so, you know, as a, as a pilot, I can non-revenue fly for free 
on an airline, but even from Houston to Fort Lauderdale, it's always tough to get on those flights, even for the jump seat up in the flight deck. So I bought a ticket to get there. And the first time I'd ever seen my grandson was him lying there in a coma in that hospital. And he's doing fantastic now, you know, survived doing wonderful. But that tragedy got me to know my grandson and get to know my granddaughter again. But the thing about my granddaughter that was so special, she was like 10, 11 at the time. Not once did this child ask me, Grandpa, where have you been? How's come we've never seen you in so long? She just accepted me and loved me. And that's what made her so special was that uh, that love that just came because that's who she was. I had the, my wife and I had the opportunity to take her to Hawaii on vacation one year. <laughs> she never asked, the only, she asked for one thing, and that's if we could take her to a store where she could buy her own bathing suit. And we even found, uh, you know, swimming with the dolphins. And I asked her says, if she wanted to do this. Oh, Grandpa, that costs a lot of money. I said, well, don't worry about that. She says, do you want to do it? Says, Grandpa, you can't, that's, that's, that's a lot of money to spend. I says, honey, if it were free, would you want to do it? Says, yeah. I says, <laughs> okay, then don't worry about the money. I want to do this. Okay. <laughs> and I've got uh, my, what's the, there's the profile picture. And what's the other picture on Facebook? The bigger one at the top. Oh yeah. I mean, the banner, I think. Yeah. The banner, yeah. I've, the banner. I've got a picture of her with the dolphin. You know, she's hugging the dolphin in that. When I first put that up, you know, she has this huge smile on her face and, Another friend of mine from my rodeo days, Don Gay, eight times world's champion bull rider, uh, who's never met anybody from my family. I put that up and he just, he come and says, I'd know that smile anywhere. Because <laughs> <laughs> her smile is just like mine. And so the miracle in that tragedy was actually being able to bond with. Yes. With, with your grandkids and your family. Yeah. And it doesn't end there. Oh, cool. Share more. <laughs> when um, my wife and I went out for the funeral, um, there's, of course, my other three daughters that really don't have a relationship with. And uh, the funeral home had accepted digital pictures from people. And there was like three, 400 photographs that people had submitted to go on the wall in her obituary with the funeral home. And the funeral home selected just a handful of these pictures to make a video. Over half of those pictures was her with my wife and myself in our home and uh, Universal Studios in Hawaii and now all of a sudden, all my other grandchildren know who I am. At the funeral, 
the oldest daughter of my youngest daughter. I'm standing next to the, I'm standing next to my granddaughter and of course just having a hard time. And this beautiful young girl just walks up to me and says, do you need a hug? <laughs> the next morning, my oldest daughter had gotten my phone number from my other daughter and reached out to me and said that one of her daughters, who was 16, wanted to meet me. And the burial was on Sunday. The, the funeral services were on Saturday and was caught away from where we had to go. We was out there at the cemetery. And after the services, my daughter brings up this 16-year-old grandchild of mine. And she looks up at me and, the, you know, I'd always been called the bad dad because <laughs> of how I was back then. And this sweet, sweet child looks up at me and says, are you a good man now? <laughs> and it felt so wonderful to look her in the eye and say, yes, I am. And she just reached out and hugged me. And after during the burial, I just, I almost fell down out of, I almost passed out when it was, it was done. And the oldest child of my youngest daughter, 14 year old boy came up to me and he says, can I hug you? I said, yeah. <laughs> and my wife during the graveside services looked over at me and says, honey, do you realize that this is father's day? And that all four of your daughters are here. And this uh, this sixteen year old granddaughter that I met that day, she and I text almost every day. And she just this child has no barriers. <laughs> completely opposite of what what my other granddaughter was like. She was always reserved, and you know, uh, people, you know, just had to you had to bring it out of her until she finally, oh, okay, yeah. But this child, oh, no. <laughs> she just <laughs> all out. And, oh. Oh, oh, completely different personalities, but it's, I have her in my life now. She's keeping you on track. <laughs> sort of like my grandson. I messed up something the other day. He says, what is your strategy to correct that? <laughs> He's five. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's, even when there's tragedy, good can come. That's right. Good can come even when there's tragedy. Oh, God. So I want to thank you for being an example of everyone listening and reminding us that we can always do what we love to do. And as Colin has shared you may want to do two or three, four or five things. Do them. Don't stop at one. Uh, just do them. Just step out on faith and step out and do the things that you know you want to do inside of yourself because it's not as hard. So I want everyone to vow to stop allowing discomfort uh, to actually run your lives because we're here to do and experience lots of wonderful things. And remember, other people are watching you too to get permission to go and live their life full out. So be a good teacher. 
So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, in my, in my steps to become a, an advocate for suicide awareness, I started, but mm -hmm. well, they're mirror, they're mirror uh, websites, stop suicide dot life and stop teen suicide dot life. There's a little bit on my granddaughter about there. And I took a video of myself in pain that I videoed myself in my pain just minutes after I found out the news. And then there's also links to websites that people can go to if they need help, including the, uh, that's a very important number anywhere in the United States. If you feel like you're at a, in a crisis moment, it's so easy now. Just call 988. You can call or text 988. And there's people on standby there to talk with you, to share with you that you are worth something, that you are loved. And if I haven't mentioned it before, that number is 988. Eight. Try and everyone write that down. Nine eight eight. You can text. You can dial from your phones. Nine eight eight. And it's the numbers even been shared throughout social media too. So take it yeah. seriously. And don't decide for yourself that you're going to be all right tomorrow, and that you don't want to waste people's times. People want to hear from you. People want to help you through these tough times, and we all have them. So don't think you're, that it's just happening to you and that you're not good enough. All of us have had tough experiences and hard times, but we promise you it's worth staying around. The miracle is worth staying around for. Absolutely. There are miracles in every situation. Absolutely. Well, with that, I, we're going to say good night and close. I want to remind everyone, may this day offer you just what you need in each unfolding moment. Remember, I want you to be inspired and to further notice, I want you to celebrate everything. And your job is to make today so awesome that yesterday gets jealous. And as I always <laughs> say, <laughs> life is too short to drink cheap champagne. So, Find that hill that is worth taking and take it, okay? You owe it to yourself and you owe it to the rest of us. You never know who's watching you so that they can get the confidence to do what they need to do in their life. Stephanie Wilson Coleman, known as the Empowerment Doctor, and as always, it has been a pleasure. Thank you, Colin, for sharing the intimate moments, sharing your life with us. That's just what we need to do with each other in these times so that we all know everyone has some good and some bad and everyone's got some, I don't know what to call it either. So I, that's right. so I say, call it all good. Okay. Just call it all good and just live your life. Good night. And till next time, just love yourself because we love you and there's nothing you can do about that. Good night. <laughs> Hi, I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor, and I just wanted to, for the next few minutes, to give you some tips about how to actually live your dreams. I want you to start with some self-discovery. I want you to take a piece of paper and write down three to five things that you've accomplished that you can absolutely brag about. I want you to write about how it makes you feel, some of the steps that you took, but these are things that you decide that 
things you would brag about. Don't ask your neighbors, your best friends. It's just you and this piece of paper. Next, I want you to do is to write a list of the things that you would like to accomplish. And as you do that, I want you to define what it is, how you're going to do it, and set a date when you're going to do it. And then I want you to dream. I want you to create a picture, a vision board, a collage. It can be magazines, you can use postcards, whatever you like to create a picture of this thing that you want to accomplish, of the goal you want to achieve. After you've done that, then I need you to set the team up. Who do you need to reach out to to help you? When do you need to get started? Are there any skills that you need to learn? And if there are, when are you gonna start the process? I want you to give these steps a try this week and let me know how you did because I'm sure you're going to have an amazing discovery. Again, I'm Stephanie Wilson Coleman, the Empowerment Doctor, and as always, I say, dream big. Bye, me.